Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we're chatting with hustler Andrew Patterson about the Jets, about the vibes of the team, and about Kansas City Chiefs fandom. This team's doing really well again, and he went to the game last weekend. It was very cold. Also chatting with John Hodge of Three Down Nation about the Bombers trading Drew Brown and all the moves that are left for Kyle Walters to do. That's all coming up on the podcast. As a born and bred Winnipegger, I have to know... Have you thought out yet from your experience at Arrowhead? Was that one of the, was that colder than any sports experience you've ever had before? Oh, okay, Kristen. Uh, Honestly, it was. I I joked to some friends in a couple other shows that I've done this week that, like, I'm born and raised in Winnipeg. I have been, I've been cold my whole life. I'm used to this. I sat through that Bomber Rider game at the West Final, and that was sort of what I was expecting. It was it was on a whole nother level. Um, I mean, it was it was colder. I think there was a bit more moisture in the air, and the wind was more fierce. And I actually just saw an article today that I guess fifteen people were I shouldn't laugh, but fifteen people hospitalized um, after the game, and dozens more treated for hypothermia. It was uh, it was as cold as any event that I've ever been, and it did take a couple days to warm up from. And thank God I was very well prepared um and maybe that was a that was the background that came into it to save me being from here um but man the, the temperatures the entire way from winnipeg to kansas city on the drive were brutal and uh it just kept getting worse throughout that day and then it was even windier and more cold in the second half so credit to everyone that survived it and the players were playing through it. I don't know whether we'll have a game like that again in a long, long time. I think it was the fourth coldest game at kickoff, minus four degrees Fahrenheit, which I think is about minus 20 Celsius. And it was close to minus 30 Celsius with the wind chill. Is there a badge of honor though, that you were there and your team won? Yeah, I honestly, I mean, I'm so happy that I did it. I've been lucky enough to, I mean, I was at the AFC championship game last year that the chiefs won and, you know, the infamous D Ford offside game in uh, 19 against the Patriots that they lost. But this one will always be a special one just because of the, the survival test that, uh, that it was, you know, I, I gotta tell you a, a funny antidote from it. We were sitting in the, in the last row of the upper bowl. So we were right in front of a private suite, not Taylor Swift suite, but he was just a little ways down from us. But we would turn around and look, and because because of how how uh, freezing it was outside, and I guess the the warmth inside the suites, the the suites were icing over like your car does. And about every fifteen minutes, the guys in the suite would have to pull out their credit cards and start scraping off the windows like we do here in the winter. Uh, honestly, it's something that I'll never forget. I'm glad I did it but I hope to never have to sit through a game that cold again. Well, at least your team won. If I had gone to the NFC wildcard game in 2016, where Blair Walsh shanks the short field goal and they lose 10, nine to the Seahawks. Cool. You're at one of the coldest games ever, but you just watch the Vikings be the Vikings. You get to at least watch the chiefs be the chiefs after many decades of, of not good. They've been the crown of the, the NFL. So now you get to see Patrick Mahomes play a road playoff game in Buffalo. Uh, are First of all, are you going to Buffalo? And if not, how are you going to watch this game on Sunday? No, I'm not. I'm not making the, uh, the trip to Buffalo, although I did. I did look into tickets and see how realistic that might be. But uh, 
Um, no, lots going on around here. Busy weekend with the Jets playing on Saturday and then again on Monday. So I'll be here. I'll be getting together at my local with a bunch of friends, both Chiefs fans and Bills fans, and watching the game. And uh, I'm looking forward. I, I mean, I, this is the game, Christian, that I think, you know, even if you have no skin in the game, like being a fan of either teams, we've seen such classics between these teams over the last number of years. This is the first time Mahomes is going to be on the road ever in the playoffs. I mean, outside, of course, of neutral site Super Bowls. So, I mean, it's everything that I think we and, frankly, the NFL could have wanted in the final main event, if you will, from the divisional round. And uh, I think there's a lot of pressure on the Bills, to be honest. I mean, they've been working towards this moment. They've fallen short at the hands of Mahomes before. And now they've got the Chiefs in their building. With that comes a lot of expectations with a lot of pressure. And um, I will just mention that Patrick Mahomes is 11-1 and all-time as an underdog. He's only been an underdog 12 times in his career, which says something. Um, but, uh, listen, you can make a good argument for both teams why they'll come out. Um, but I can tell you that um, everyone that even has any remote interest in the National Football League gonna be, is going to be tuned to that one on Sunday night. And uh, I'll be locked and loaded and ready with, uh, with a great crew to uh, hopefully – enjoy the grim reaper do his thing and uh unfortunately because i do love the buffalo fans i think the mafia is great that's a city that deserves some good things i just hope it doesn't happen sunday i saw someone online make this mention and i, and I thought it never occurred to me before now that the patriots are not the patriots anymore we're, we're kind of looking for the next big rivalry and someone noted that the bills versus chiefs and allen versus mahomes could be the new brady versus manning and Colts Patriots. Do you feel the vibes there? Because Bills winning this game would kind of feel like the Patriots or the Colts beating the Patriots the year they won the Super Bowl. You know what? It's, it's a really interesting topic. I mean, I think we can have that conversation if the Bills win this game. Um, I mean, if you look at, you know, uh, Josh Allen does have a playoff win over Lamar Jackson. Um, but, I mean, they, like his five wins, the last couple was against Mason Rudolph and Skylar Thompson. I mean, they really – well, not only do they move within a game of the Super Bowl and a game that I think would be very much possible for them to win if they take on Baltimore, um, but, I, but I think they have to win this game for it to get that point. Although, I mean, to your point of them just being the nemesis, um, that could very well be the case. But, honestly, Mahomes has been the nemesis for – so many quarterbacks and teams in the NFL. I mean, he's got 12 playoff wins already. I mean, he'll pass Aaron Rodgers and Ben Roethlisberger on the weekend if he can get a win. I believe just past Aikman. Aikman's got three Super Bowl rings. Uh, I'm not sure that we... It's just the way that Mahomes came into the league and was so successful right out of the gate, winning the MVP in his first year as a starter, getting to the AFC Championship team every year. I mean... He's, uh, he's set himself and his team on another level, and everyone's gunning for them right now. But um, maybe no team's had harder luck at the expense of the Chiefs than Buffalo. And um, I know that the Bills Mafia feels that this is their opportunity on home soil to right the wrongs of the past and finally get past the Chiefs. It's going to be dramatic, no doubt about that. Looking forward to checking that one out. Now, uh, you've also been in the city a long time. You've been following the Jets the long time. Have the vibes ever been this good? Wow, great question. I mean, 
I mean, maybe going through that playoff run in 17-18 when the team was so good and had earned it. But what's different right now with the Jets, Christian, is that I think this was so unexpected for so many people. I mean, I'm a real positive guy. I always kind of try to look at the the positive, the potential of what the team is. But even I could not have imagined we'd be sitting here into the second half of the season and pulling up the standings and see the Jets at number one in the National Hockey League. And the way they've done it has been, I mean, we've seen the Jets win in the past and do it because Connor Hellebuck has been the best goaltender in the world. Well, he's still the best goaltender in the world, but he's got a team right now that night in and night out is playing as well as any team at five on five. They have a foundation and a level of consistency that we haven't seen anything like this before. So I think I kind of might say, no, I haven't seen the excitement and the vibes around the team so well because a, what, most people expected from the team at the start of the year and just how they proved doubters wrong night after night after night. And uh, the fact that they've taken on the best in the National Hockey League and fared very well. I mean, it is hard not to think what this team is capable of going forward, never mind what could or might happen at the trade deadline. Um, They have earned that confidence, I think, of themselves, most importantly, but also the fan base. And As you know well, I mean, January and February in Winnipeg can be a real tough time of the year. It's cold. You're running from your car to the house. I mean, you're at times miserable. The spirits of fans right now, we see it every day in Winnipeg Sports Talk in the chat. I mean, the spirits of fans, I don't think has been as high as this. Now, come playoff time, there'll be a lot of pressure. I'm sure there'll be angst. There'll be anxiety. Uh, but right now, I think Jet fans are just absolutely enjoying every minute of what this team's doing every time they get out on the ice. Well, I've been to a lot of the home games since uh, the pandemic. I went to pretty much every game during the fanless season, and that's the first year we had the rights. I've been to pretty much every weeknight home game since, and I've noticed certainly over the last few weeks, maybe the last month, it feels like it used to at Jets games. Do you, you go, you don't go to every game. I know you go to a lot of games. Do you get that feeling too? Uh, definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, it's, it's a big conversation as to what's happened over the last couple of years. Like I think there was going to be a market correction at some point when it came to, you know, attendance and there was a lot of things that were working against them heading into the pandemic. And I think the pandemic sort of put it off and it all happened at the same time, which is why at the start of the year with some of those really empty nights was so concerning. Um, and it was, it, listen, it's on, listen, the organization's got a lot of work to do to try to get back season ticket holders that they lost. They have to work a lot harder on a night in night out basis to, to fill seats that were traditionally season tickets. But as far as the actual atmosphere in the building and the way that fans are connected to the team, I'm with you. I mean, to be honest, it takes me back to really early in the Jets run where everyone was just so over the moon to have a team that they were incredibly supportive no matter what. That obviously changes with expectations and as the years go by. But right now, this this arguably, I think I can safely say, at least in my opinion, is the most likable team that the Jets have, have iced in that, you know, the guys that didn't want to be here or maybe a little cantankerous are no longer here. Rick Bonus has said over and over again that everybody 
wearing a Jet jersey, is all in, wants to be here. That's something that really resonates with Winnipeg fans. And then you add the way they're playing night in and night out and the wins that have come along with this. And it's taken the fan base to, I think, a level of excitement, appreciation, and for lack of a better term, love of the team that really maybe was missing since that 27-18 run uh, and everything that came along with it. So we know that this team has the vibes right now. Trade deadline is still a ways away, but what is your gut for what, not what's going to happen, but what you think the Jets could use at the trade deadline? No, I had a great chat today on WST with Ken Lieb about that. And we were kind of going down the trade bait boards uh, of players that would be out there. I mean, there's a name that has a bit of a connection to this city and organization, True North, at least in Chris Tanev. And I think, and I say this with Tanev being like, I don't think they need to go and add some depth defenseman like they've done in the past, the Jordy Benz of the world to go in and play a sixth or seventh role. To be honest, I think they have those guys and more in the organization right now. Two that are in the press box, Billy Hanel with the Moose, Capobianco with the Moose as well. To me, if they made a move on the blue line, it would be to get an incredible competitor, a minute muncher, a guy that, you know, you could play in your top four. And I think Chris Tanev is that guy. So he'd be sort of at the top of my list. But honestly, and and all year long, I thought that the defense was the area that they probably looked to add the most. I've kind of changed my tune on that. And part of it is just how well the defensive played. Like, as great as Billy was in, in preseason, he unfortunately got hurt. And what we've seen happen since then is Nate Schmidt and Dylan Sandberg being the best pairing in the National Hockey League when it comes to goals against, and I never would have thought that we'd be saying that. Um, To me, and I think we saw this with the absence of Mark Scheifele the last couple games, if there is one area from my perspective that I would and I think the Winnipeg Jets will really exhaust is to try to get a player that could come in that could play a legit second-line center role that would sort of reset the depth chart of that center position. You know Adam Lowry is going to be logging big minutes on a dominant third line. And if Nemetsnikov ends up being your center on your fourth line with the way he's played this year, and you've got a guy that can come in and click with a Cole Perfetti and one of Velarde, Connor, or Ehlers, however that shakes out, that to me is a team that could beat anybody and potentially combined with as I mentioned, the guy that I feel is the best goaltender in the world right now in Connor Hellebuck, a team that, dare I say it, could be going a long, long ways into June in the playoffs and potentially winning a Stanley Cup. And I uh, I did not have that on my bingo card when we dropped the puck on game one of 82. No, I thought they'd be in that third central spot, a playoff team, but maybe not a world beater. But wow, the, the structure has been so, so incredible and, and how consistent they've been. And even if these haven't been the best teams in the world that they've beaten in January, there's been a lot of middling opponents. They've they've still won eight eight of nine, right? And that's that's an incredible accomplishment in a stretch where they played so much hockey, uh, nine of ten actually, uh, in January and at the end of December they're beating the Wild in back to back games. Uh, I remember that magical year in 2018. Paul Stasny was the big key trade deadline acquisition. And I remember getting off a plane and seeing that he'd been acquired. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, they're going for it. And that was the first real sign of this team was a, a title contender. And they've kind of been chasing that since with, you know, Kevin Hayes trade didn't really work out. 
then it was Cody Eakin and COVID and that that wasn't really anything either. And so now we're at a point again where they're in that spot they were six years ago. They're right, right near the top. And it feels like that is a, a, the spot that it, it might not be a, a, a need need, but boy, if you could do it, that that seems like it would be something that could put this team over the top and, and really make them really hard to beat. Well, I, I, I agree with you. And the other thing that I think plays into the Jets' favor is the fact that, I mean, they have a bunch of really talented prospects that I think would garner significant value around the league. They've got their pick. Heck, they've got the Montreal Canadiens' second-round pick as part of the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade as well. So I think they have the ammunition to do it. And I think we have to base our expectations on what this organization and what Kevin Cheveldayoff has done in the past. And when they feel that they have the opportunity to truly compete for a Stanley Cup like they did in 17-18 and 18-19, they have not been hesitant to spend assets to get a player that they believe gave the gives them a really chance to win. And you're, to your point, it worked a lot better with Stastny than it did with Hayes, but they've been willing to do that. And uh, I'm not sure that the team could have done anything more to give both the confidence and expectations to management that it is time to be aggressive at the deadline. And uh, um, it, it, the deadline is always a fun time in our business, talking about what could happen and who players are involved in. But I think it will be um, a, a topic that will get even more traction, realistic traction, when talking about potential players that might be on the Jets' wish list and could end up here in Winnipeg for hopefully a very long playoff run. And they got cap space to do it too, right? That's one thing that a lot of teams maybe don't have that the Jets have in their favor is they've got cap space to work with. Uh, I'll get you out of here on this. It's a pressing topic on Jets' Twitter, uh, and it has been for years. It is the deployment of Nikolai Ehlers. His five-on-five points per minute played has has been tops on this team for years now. Uh, Kyle Connor comes back. He gets bumped down. And that Nemestikov, Perfetia, Ehlers line, we call it the second line, but minutes-wise, it it really is the third line. Uh, How do you feel about that? Because Connor over Ehlers, it feels like both of those players are are top-line players, but they, I guess you you have four top-line players and only three spots, right? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'll be honest. If the team keeps winning the way they're winning, I'm not losing any sleep about it. I mean, I get it that, you know, a lot of people have particular favorite players and they uh, they feel, I mean, on great teams, sometimes players are in positions maybe lower than they're capable of playing. But this isn't about one player. This is about a team. And the results of the team speak for themselves right now. Like, Ehlers, I think Ehlers has been great this year. I mean, he had a, you know, a slower start because of the time he missed in camp. But since then... He has been phenomenal, and I've been impressed with the way he's bought in and been tenacious defensively, too, which is not something we really talked about him before. But if it works out that the top line is clicking with Shifley and Connor and Gabriel Velarde and Nikolai Ehlers is the driver of a line with Cole Perfetti and whoever's playing center, I think that makes a pretty good team. And again, this is about winning hockey games and going long in the playoffs, and I'm, uh, I've got a lot of time for that. Now, at the same time, if things maybe uh, don't go as expected on that top line, could you bring another guy for sure? But I think there's something to be said. Like if you, if I ask you between Kyle Connor, Gabriel Velarde and Nikolai Ehlers, which of those players is most capable of being the driver on a second line? 
I kind of feel like it's Ehlers. Now, is he capable of more? Probably. Um, but again, if the pieces fit together to the benefit of the team, like we've seen so far this year, uh, as I said, I'm not stressing about it. If they all of a sudden they start losing a bunch of games and things aren't going well, they've got some options. But uh, I'm sure every one of those guys is 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 more interested in keeping this rolling and winning games rather than getting an extra two or three minutes in ice time because the ultimate goal is to win as a team and get that trophy, not necessarily any personal accolades. Hustler, appreciate your time. Thanks for being very generous with it, and good luck to your Chiefs on the weekend. Hey, thanks, Christian. Great chat as always, and uh, I've been enjoying the show as I usually do when I'm ripping around in the evening. Uh, Always a great listen on OB. So, John, this isn't a surprise that Drew Brown heads out the door. I guess Bombers fans should be happy that Kyle Walters got a pick instead of him just walking for nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty standard fare in the CFL these days for a major transaction like a quarterback move for a team to give up an asset early, right? We saw this with Bo Levi Mitchell being flipped to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Last offseason, we've seen it previously with guys like Nick Arbuckle who you know, are kind of stepping out of their first team to to pursue a starting opportunity elsewhere. And, you know, Kyle Walters heavily hinted at this last week when he virtually met with the media from the CFL's off-season winter meetings in Nashville, essentially saying, look, even if if we matched the contract that Drew Brown would theoretically be offered by other teams around the league, he's probably not going to say because he wants to start. And he's made that clear between him and his agent. And that opportunity obviously was not going to happen anytime soon in Winnipeg with Zach Kolaris locked up as, you know, one of the top two paid passers in the entire CFL, not just through 2024, but through 2025 when Winnipeg hosts the Grey Cup. So, you know, this is, I think, a good opportunity for Drew Brown to, to get out and, and start in a place. Like, it, it does not look like Jeremiah Masoli, who, who took a major pay cut after tearing his, his Achilles this past season, is going to be healthy for the start of camp. They've got some intriguing young guys there in, in Dustin Crum and in Tyree Adams, but you know I think Drew Brown would be the, the front runner to be their week one starter. And, and for Winnipeg, you get an asset back for a guy who's going to be leaving for free in a, in a few weeks anyway. So you know I, I think this makes sense for all parties, especially Drew Brown looking to start as soon as possible. There's no guarantee the draft pick turns in anything, but at least you now have a lottery ticket as opposed to nothing if you're Kyle Walters. And I, and I think he it was also talking about last week the the balance you're trying to strike when you're looking at a backup quarterback, whether you're grooming for the future, whether you want someone who's ready to go in now, because it would have been great if Drew Brown was the next guy. But as you mentioned, there's just too much runway left for, for Zach Kalara. So looking at who the next backup quarterback could be, because we've seen young guys come in, whether it was Chris Drevler, Sean McGuire, Drew Brown, are they looking for a guy in that mold and then Dakota Prukop stays as the running quarterback that doesn't really throw? Well, Prukop is a pinning free agent. And I, I asked Kyle Walters about this virtually last week and he essentially said, look, you know, traditionally you have a veteran backup and then your third stringer is kind of your, your young guy who you're developing. And that's kind of changed in recent years because of course, Dakota Prukop is not this team's primary backup. Dakota Prukop, the last couple of seasons, has very much been the third-string short yardage guy. Sean McGuire was the developmental backup for a bit. Then Drew Brown kind of took over that role in, in 2022. So, 
this is a situation where I think the Bombers will be looking to, you know, if Prukop is back, regardless, look for a young quarterback to develop as that next guy. And I appreciate for Bomber fans, it's frustrating to see, you know, young, exciting quarterbacks leave. It happened with Chris Streveler when he left for the NFL in 2020. It's now happened with Drew Brown leaving in 2023. But first off, a couple of things. One, obviously Winnipeg's front office and the scouts, they've got guys like Danny uh, McManus, guys like Ted Gavaya, their two assistant GMs are doing a good job of finding quarterback talent, right? If you, if you send a guy to an NFL and you, and you sign another guy to another team as, as a starter, you, you're clearly doing a good job of bringing in the talent and the coaching staff is doing a good job of developing talent. Secondly, having too many good quarterbacks is a problem that the Bombers did not have for about 30 years and uh, it did not serve them well, right? So the Bombers, you know, when, when you're a successful franchise, this, this is bound to happen. And so I think you have to trust that that whoever they bring in is going to be effective. The club did announce the signing of a quarterback today. It's pretty clear this was done before, you know, Drew Brown was traded. But Eric Barrier, a six foot one, two hundred and ten passer who had a very good career at Eastern Washington, has had a couple of stints at the USFL. He's a dual threat guy. Had thirteen thousand passing yards in college, almost two thousand yards rushing in college. You know, he, he he didn't play you know, at, at, a, at a top, top college school, but he still was a very good player at the FCS level, still Division One NCAA. He's still a young guy. So who knows? Eric Barrier might, might be nothing, or he could be somebody who makes everybody forget all about Drew Brown. That remains to be seen. You know, in the off season, what happens in our position is we get a lot of press releases from the Bombers. There's They've added a couple people to the roster. They've added two receivers to the roster as well today. And a lot of these players will come in, they'll go to training camp, and then that might be it, right? And then we don't hear from them again. Maybe they end up on the practice roster. But at one point, Dalton Schoen was one of these releases. At one point, Drew Brown was one of these releases. People that we don't really know, and then they become someone that we become very used to and, and become very familiar with. So maybe that's barrier, but we don't know. One one thing I will point out is Eastern Washington's also where Matt Nichols went to school. So there is, and I think Cooper Cup went there as well, if I'm not mistaken. So there is some pedigree there. So, and we don't know until... Mitchell played there too. Yeah, so there there is a history of that school and, and people maybe getting overlooked at the NFL level, but coming here and doing well. So maybe he's the backup, maybe... I mean, there's months before we know that. So do we still expect Kyle Walters to maybe look into bringing in a veteran? Or do you think they're going to go this route again, a young guy that is maybe less familiar to the CFL game? I, 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 Kyle was not willing to tip his hand in that regard last week. I, I think, by the way, Vernon Adams Jr. also played at Eastern Washington. So a huge lineage from, from the Eagles yeah, to wow. the CFL in that regard, he didn't finish his collegiate career there. He finished at Oregon, but he started at Eastern Washington. But, anyway, you know, let, let's, let's call a spade a spade. The, the current free agents that are set to hit the open market at the quarterback position are not terribly exciting. Like Matthew Schultz is probably the best one. Uh, Taylor Cornelius is already on the market, right? He got cut by the Elks. Maybe there's a bit of a reclamation project there with the right staff, you know, with the right, you know, weapons that it's a split make maybe there's something there but you know if you bring in a quarterback who is just whatever right who's just okay you, you very much know what the ceiling is and and obviously that guy might be better than a raw rookie in their rookie season but there's also something to be said for just rolling the dice and 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 trusting your scouting department and trusting your coaching staff 
to bring in a guy who, who, you know, instead of, instead of playing the okay veteran, who's never going to get better playing a young quarterback who could develop into the next star player for your club or, or elsewhere in the league. Like, you know, the Toronto Argonauts, for instance, came into the 2023 season with Chad Kelly as their starter who had started one game ever in the CFL before. And their primary backup was Cameron Dukes who had started zero games in the CFL and the club won 16 regular season games, like 16 and two, one of two teams in league history ever to do that. So I'm not suggesting that that's necessarily, you know, the, the absolute best way and the only way to go about it. What I'm saying is there's a recent blueprint for a club saying, you know what, we're going to roll the dice at the backup QB spot. We're going to trust our scouting department and our coaching staff and the pieces around the quarterback to set a young player up for success. And we're not going to go with a, with a retread. So with the market not being all that enticing, I, I could see the Bombers potentially doing that as well. And another part of that is cost, because a veteran quarterback is going to cost more than a, a rookie, and the Bombers are a team where every cent is going to matter. As they've re-signed eight guys, one has retired in Mike Miller, one is now gone with Drew Brown. I believe that means there's still 26 pending free agents for this team, not all of whom will be back. Some of them they don't want back, but certainly they want a lot of them back. And so looking ahead now, do you think, and I know Kyle Walters talked last week about the the waiting game of Schoen and Oliveira. They got Bryant done this week, but do you expect it's still going to be a, a slow go over the next week or two as we wait to see what happens with Oliveira and Schoen? Yeah, I'm led to believe the club is not close with either player. I mean, it, it's been almost two weeks now since Walters spoke to the media, but he essentially said both players were waiting on NFL opportunities and the club would would move on at a certain point as, as getting, you know, they're getting closer and closer to the free agent deadline. To me, I think at this point, it, it's pretty clear that those NFL opportunities are not going to materialize and they need to focus on the CFL. I don't think the Bombers are at the deadline now where they say, okay, we have to move on and focus on our other guys. But Stanley Bryant's resigning might be a sign that they are getting there, right? Like, like, this club can't keep bringing everybody back. There's also reportedly interest for the Bombers to bring back Chris Trevler. And if Chris Trevler's back, that's also money, right, that, that needs to get paid. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical that, that, that Chris Trevler will be back, depending on the price points, right? He, he is somebody who will have value for teams across the league if, if in fact, he is going to return to the CFL. Um, so I, I'm curious to see what happens with that. But, but absolutely, the... The, the deadline for those two players has to be coming up relatively soon. And, and honestly, I'll say this, Christian, I do not see both of those players being back. I think if push comes to shove, the Bombers will push to bring Brady Oliveira back because he is local, because he was the focal point of their offense this past season. And I think they'll rely on their scouting department and their coaches to try to uncover a, uh, a new deep threat receiver for Zach Kolaris in that offense. I'd lead in that same way if you had to pick one because Oliveira was the principal point. And, and basically, you have one running back, and when you're a quarterback, you've got four or five guys to throw to, and Sean is a great option. But they do have Kenny Lawler, uh, Rashid Bailey, and Drew Altarski are free agents, but they're very skilled. Nick Dembski is signed for a couple years still, and as you've mentioned before, they could have bring in a guy or two. They've had guys not be able to crack the roster because there's just been too many good receivers there. So unfortunately, that might be what ends up happening. But uh, for this Blue Bombers team now, if you have to, I guess if you just choose to say no to one, 
that really feels like it would set in motion a domino effect of five or six or seven guys being able to sign pretty quickly. Yes, and that is something Walter said is is once the 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 kind of first couple of dominoes fall, the rest should fall very quickly because the team will know this is our budget, this is what we have to spend and they could also be negotiating with agents right in in kind of a I don't, know, I don't want to use the word theoretical sense, but just in good faith saying, "Hey, if theoretically we had this money, you know, w- would this work?" And if the agent says, "Yeah, we would take that." You know, it's easy to come back a week later and say, yes, we can do this. Or, you know, sorry, but we're not going to be able to do this. Best of luck in, in free agency, right? Or, or you know, okay, w- could you take a little, you know, we can't do X, but we can do Y. You know, can, you know so you can, you can move about it that way, and that, that's likely what the Bombers will do. Because, I mean, all these guys have made it clear they want to be back, essentially, right? The, this core has been together for so long. They want to be together. They want to stay together. Uh, with with very few exceptions, Drew Brown being one of them, simply because, understandably so, he he wants the chance to be a starter, which is not going to be the case in Winnipeg for at least a couple of years, uh, with Zach Kolaris in place. So, you know, and 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 getting back to the receiver, I'll touch on this, Christian. The other issue with with Dalton Schoen, they're paying Kenny Waller two eighty five this season on a restructured deal. I had that story for three hundred this week. And Nick Dembski's making right up there in the $200,000 range as a guy with a very similar skill set to Dalton Schoen, right? Nick Dembski is that, you know, slot back, find the hole in the zone, you know, push the ball down the field type of receiver. With those two being so similar and, and Kenny Waller already being the second highest paid receiver in the league, it's really hard to fit another guy in there. That's part of the reason the Bombers have been so successful, especially in offense the last few seasons is, Dalton Schoen has played at an elite level making rookie money. And, and it's just not possible to keep all of those guys around. Somebody's got to go. Somebody's got to take a pay cut. And uh, that's the process the Bombers are trying to figure out right now. And we've seen that in sports for years in the salary cap eras. You can be great forever, and then you're going to have to make some roster decisions. And it's all about how you have the young guys come in and, and step up. And, and you look around the league now, Dominic Rimes gets cut by the – Lions because of salary cap reasons, and then they immediately re-signed Javon Katoy and Alexander Hollins. Now Rhymes is in Ottawa, where he could be catching balls from Drew Brown. That's how quickly this can all move around. Have you gotten a sense across the league of of how tight things are for most teams? Is, are they in the similar situations to Winnipeg, or is Winnipeg unique because they have been so successful and have been playing pretty much the same roster year after year? I think that the situation in Winnipeg is probably a little tighter, but it's not that dissimilar to what a lot of teams are facing. From from the agents I've spoken to, teams, generally speaking, do not have a lot of money to spend. Um, Over the last year or two, we've seen receiver salaries explode. Uh, You know, between Kenny Lawler getting $300,000 from the Elks in 2022, Eugene Lewis getting $320,000 from the Elks, in 2023, uh, there seems to be a sense the receiver market is going to, you know, or at least maybe if it doesn't come down, it's certainly topped out. Um, the offensive line market is hot, but the defensive line market is not as big as it used to be. The defensive back market has really shrunk over the last few years. That's likely to, to kind of stay down. Uh, so I think it depends on the position, but there is a reason why, despite, you know, having the opportunity 
to try free agency, we've seen a lot of players, especially this year and last year, not only stay where they are, but sign long-term contracts. And that's because, you know, first of all, the grass isn't always greener, right? You can go to another team and we've seen it happen a million times in pro sports where, you know, a guy who was really successful in one place is unable to translate that success elsewhere just because, you know, the team around him wasn't the same or the coaching staff didn't really know how to prepare for him or, or, or whatever else was, was, was helping make him so successful prior to the move. Um, or, you know, you can just, you make more money, right? You can, you can sign with your team while they still have that cap space at the end of December or in January. And some of these teams, like Winnipeg's not on the first day of free agency, going to go and add seven free agents from other teams. No, they're, they're going to sign their guys, spend all their money, and then, you know, maybe bring in one or two depth players who are making at or near league minimum to try to enhance what they have. So there's something to be said for not only staying where you are, but also signing early, right? Getting back to uh, back under contract as quickly as you can, because the vast majority of guys who go to the market on February 13th are not going to get what they think they're going to get, right? They see dollar signs and, and teams only have so much money to spend. Like the salary cap is not going up very much. The salary cap in 2023 was 545 million dollars this season it's 5.525 we're talking about 75 grand not a lot of extra money john appreciate your insight as always thanks for this thank you christian anytime well thank you very much for listening to the cjob sports show podcast if you like what you heard guess what you can hear more every weeknight on cjob from 6 30 to 9 p.m of course that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell, until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect.